Hey, Happy Easter FCF Church. I'm so glad we can gather together uh, in any way, shape, or form these days. And uh, I want to start by giving you an invitation, a little, little extra additional um, uh, ad. Uh, I mentioned last week that Zoom growth groups are being started. If you don't know what that is, you can sit right in your very home, get on your computer, and join in a group with little pictures of yourself and others right from your home. If you've always been thinking about joining a growth group of hesitant, man, what a great time to start uh, this Easter. Well, here it is, Easter 2020. I'll bet you didn't expect this. Uh, I certainly did not expect to be standing in my kitchen doing a message to people that I cannot see. It's a very, very different experience, I can assure you. I don't know what we wanted this Easter, but it wasn't this, and I don't know what we expected, but I can guarantee it wasn't this. And uh, most Easter's, you know, frankly, most of us will be going through thoughts like, gee, what will I wear? Or will the kids be able to get out of the house at the right time? People like me would be thinking, man, I hope our musical specials come off well. I hope my brain works. You, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, the whole service will be meaningful. Some of you are worried that, should I come to the first, second, or third? Where, where will it be the least problem getting a seat or getting out of the parking lot? These are the normal things we'd be thinking about, but these are not the things we're thinking about now at all. All we're thinking about today is, when is this thing going to end? And uh, what, what, what is going on? Anyway. Our circumstance is really, truly not that different than what the first followers of Christ experienced at that very first Easter week. Uh, they, too, experienced nothing that they expected and certainly nothing that they wanted. So we started last week with Palm Sunday, and so we're now from Palm Sunday to five days forward. And we left the crowds shouting and screaming, laying their clothing on, on the ground, hailing Jesus as the Messiah. You know, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Save us now to the utmost. We go from that to a very different scene just five days later. Nothing, nothing that the disciples wanted and certainly nothing that they expected. Once again, bear with me. You have to understand that even Jesus' own disciples, though he had taught them extensively, they still held on to that confused notion of what the Messiah, what the Christ would do. Primarily, they still believed that he would use physical force, supernatural power to overthrow the Roman government, and that the, the thing that humanity needed the most, believe it or not, sounds crazy to us, was that for Israel to become the chief of the nations again and for political solutions to spiritual problems, which folks never, ever work. And so... Here they were, and here we are in a quite unexpected, unwanted set of circumstances. Let's go back, and let's just revisit the whole storyline. And uh, I'm going to take you now to Matthew chapter 27. And uh, I'm, I'm going to pick up after Jesus had, he had been arrested in the garden. And maybe, many of you recall that no sooner was he arrested, his disciples very quickly deserted him, abandoned him. And he's left alone, treated as uh, a common criminal. He's dragged into uh, the high priest. And so I, I'm going to pick up reading in chapter 27, beginning in verse 21. So this is after they had finished with Jesus at Caiaphas, the high priest. They beat him up terribly there, beat him with their fists. They then took him to 
the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and the governor asked them, verse 21, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Remember, he said that he released uh, a prisoner on the Passover each year for them. And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? The Christ, the Messiah. They all said, crucify him. He asked, why? What wrong has he done? But they shouted more insistently, crucify him. Now, pause for just one minute. You know, five days earlier, they're laying down their cloaks, perhaps some of the same people. They're saying, Hosanna in the highest. They're praising him. They're welcoming him as the Messiah. Now, because it appears he's not going to be the powerful Messiah, the military Messiah, the conquering Messiah, quickly, quickly, they turn against him. Now, it was instigated by the chief priests and the religious leaders. It goes on, it says in verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but that instead a riot was starting, he took some water, washed his hands before the crowd, and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You take care of it yourselves. And this is where it really gets ugly. Pilate turns Jesus over to his own Roman soldiers. They whip him, and this was probably the typical 39 lashes of flogging, which could leave you in really bad condition. Then... They put a robe on him, they take a staff, they put a crown of thorns on his head, they slap him and punch him continuously in the face, they hit him with the staff continuously in the head, and then they drag him on to be crucified. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 38, Matthew 27, 38. It says, Then two outlaws were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by, now listen to this, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Those who passed by defamed him, shaking their heads and saying, Who can destroy, or excuse me, you, you, you who can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're God's son, come down from the cross. In the same way, even the chief priests together with the experts in the law and elders were mocking him. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. If he comes down now from the cross, we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God, if he wants to, deliver him now. Because he said, I am God's son. The robbers who were crucified with him also spoke abusively to him. Let me drop you to verse 50 and 51. This gets to the end of it. Then Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit just then the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split apart. Just a word about the temple curtain. This thing was extraordinarily thick. It was many layers and it was torn from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that it was a divine occurrence, that God was saying, no longer is there any barrier between God and man. But, but, but this means something more than what most people think it means. It means that now in Jesus crucified, the universe, the angelic universe, the human race can finally understand the heart of God. The veil has been torn when Jesus was crucified and died. That's when the universe could see once and for all, this is what the almighty God is really like. He is sacrificially devoted to those that he creates. His almighty power is nothing to be feared. It is something to be cherished because it's only used for good. The veil is torn. The revelation of God in fullness was complete in Jesus dying on the cross. Let's pick up now 
and read the more familiar portions of this Easter, Easter story. We go to Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly there was a severe earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. These stones, we'll talk about it later, were enormous. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were shaken and became like dead men because they were so afraid of him. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been... He is not here for... For he has been raised, just as he said. Come and see... Come and see the place where he was lying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And we'll just stop it right there. So here is the whole Easter story. It was nothing like, things went nothing like what the disciples wanted it to go. They wanted to see Jesus finally put the religious leaders in their place. They wanted Jesus to see the Romans put in their place. They didn't get anything they wanted. They certainly didn't expect it, though Jesus had told them repeatedly that he would be crucified and that he would rise from the dead. It was nothing they wanted. It was nothing they expected. But we now know... It was everything that they and we needed, everything that the universe needed to, in the eternal future, be forever settled in a perfect state of trust in God and a perfect eternal abhorrence of breaking step with his will. All this was accomplished and more through this complete sacrificial revelation of the Almighty God in Jesus. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, Randy, it, it's easy for them to take this all in. They were eyewitnesses. They, they saw the risen Jesus. They saw the stone thrown, thrown, rolled aside and so forth. But, but what about us? I mean, you know, we're nearly 2,000 years removed. What, what proofs, what evidence do we have? Do we just believe this story just because, uh, you know, we choose to believe it? Or do we have something? They had overwhelming evidence. They saw with their eyes. Jesus was risen. He appears to them again and again over a 40-day period. But what about us? Do we have anything? Well, nearly every Easter that I share a message about this, this story, this, this crucial, the most important of occurrences in human history, I always show that we are left with at least seven very, seven very compelling pieces of evidence that ensure us that our trust in Christ, our trust in His life, Death, burial, resurrection, it's not misplaced, but it's on firm footing of solid evidentiary basis. So bear with me, and I'm going to go through seven pieces of evidences for the actual physical resurrection of Christ from the dead, just as he had predicted. He predicted he would be crucified and, and rise the third day at the beginning of his ministry, in the middle of his ministry, multiple times toward the end, and so it was. The first piece of evidence is this. It was 
a Roman seal was put on the tomb and it was broken. In those days, when a Roman seal was put on something, it was literally untouchable. People would be terrified to, divide, to defy the most powerful, brutal army of the day um, and the complete ruler of the world, the Roman Empire. A Roman seal, but it was broken. That Roman seal was, was torn apart. The tomb itself was empty. You know, the, the people that wanted to stop Christianity in Jesus' day and ever since, all they have to do is find a body, come up with a body. Jerusalem was packed. There was 100,000 people in the city for Passover. It was a very tiny area. It would not have been hard to find a body in that kind of an occurrence. They couldn't. They couldn't come up with a body. The tomb, in fact, was empty. The second thing was that the soldiers themselves were gone from the tomb. A Roman guard was put at the tomb. And I'm going to tell you once again, between the Roman seal, the Roman guard, no one, no one in their right mind was going to dare come near that tomb. And these Roman soldiers were battle-hardened individuals, and yet they had all abandoned their posts. Something unthinkable, unthinkable for a Roman soldier, and yet they were gone. We know the angels would terrify them. And then the unexplained massive stone that was moved. These stones could weigh as much as two tons. Now, it says it was initially rolled in place, and they were usually in a groove and in a rounded-off stone. But still, women were the first ones at the tomb. These women would have never been able to. And, and the language gives you the, the feeling that the, the stone was literally pitched aside. So the stone was rolled away. Then a more powerful piece to me is the radical change in two skeptics and one enemy of Christ. Two skeptics. James, Jesus' literal half-brother, was not a follower of Jesus while he was alive on earth. But he appeared to James after he had been crucified, and James not only becomes a follower of Jesus, he becomes the leader of the church of Jerusalem and ultimately is executed. He becomes a fully devoted follower of Jesus only after he saw with his own eyes his half-brother risen from the dead. The other skeptic was Thomas. You might recall the first week a week after the crucifixion, or excuse me, a week after the resurrection, the disciples were all gathered in hiding, and Jesus appears to them. But Thomas, one of the disciples, was not there. They tell Thomas that Jesus appeared. Thomas says, you guys can believe that if you want. I won't believe it until I put my fingers in the wound in his hands and in his side. A week later, Jesus appears to Thomas. And he tells him, go ahead. Put your fingers in the wound in my hand and in my side. And Thomas falls to his knees and says, My Lord and my God. Big thing for, for a Jew to declare an individual God. It would have been blasphemy unless he believed that in fact Jesus was and is God. So he turned from being a skeptic to being a loyal follower of Jesus. Uh, Extra-biblical history gives us word that he died as a martyr giving witness to Jesus in India. We don't know that to be a necessary truth. The next one is even more interesting, and it's a man called Saul of Tarsus. We meet him in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 7. He is the first enemy of the cause of Christ. He seeks to stamp out the Christ movement. He's persecuting the followers of Christ, taking them to jail. He's at the, the first martyrdom of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, holding the cloaks of those that stoned him to death. We better know him later as Paul, the apostle, but he started as Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, and Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. He's going to arrest more followers of Christ, 
And he's completely transformed when he says, Who are you, Lord, when he's talking to the voice from heaven that he knew to be divine? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. At that point, at that point, he says what every real follower of Jesus says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And he becomes the greatest servant of God ever since that time. That is a powerful evidence for the physical resurrection of Christ. Let me go on. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus didn't appear just once or one day. It says that he appeared consistently to multiple people for 40 days straight. Acts chapter 1, verse 3, 40 days of eyewitness appearances. Again, eyewitness appearances in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, the apostle Paul says, at one time, the physical risen Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. This, this is compelling evidence. Let me give you another. The changed day of worship. The Jews were Sabbatarians. They worshiped on Saturday. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. And it says in the New Testament that the followers of Jesus started gathering together on the first day of the week to worship. Now, some of them still were gathering at the temple on Saturday as well. But soon the movement became a first day of the week movement. For a Jew to uh, stop observing the Sabbath was was something unthinkable for a Jew to do, unless they knew that Jesus indeed was the Messiah, the, the living creator of the universe who had risen from the dead. And then finally, ultimately, the transformation of the disciples. Remember when Jesus was arrested, they all abandoned him, they all ran. Peter denied him three times that night. But after they saw Jesus risen from the dead, these men spent the rest of their life testifying to everyone they could, everywhere, under all kinds of threats that Jesus indeed was Lord and Savior. And they called people, small and great, to turn to him, to put their trust in him and become his followers. They never feared again. Extra-biblical history records that most of them uh, experienced a martyr's death. So the transformation in the disciples, and I'm just going to add this, the transformation of millions, myself, myself included, ever since everyone that's put their trust in this Jesus who reveals the sacrificial love of God on the cross and the mighty power of good to rise from the dead, everyone that's put their trust in him and become his follower continues to be transformed and become new people, people of the third day, people that learn to wait on God when nothing goes the way we want it to, when nothing goes the way we expected it to, when nothing goes the way it should have gone, when nothing goes the way it could have gone. Where, where were the people... The people that five days earlier were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, laying their coats on the ground. Where were they when the shouting mob was saying, crucify, crucify? Why was it when he was hanging on the cross and the religious leaders were mocking him? Why didn't anybody, why didn't all the thousands, the thousands that he had healed or fed, why didn't one stand up and say, stop this, this is the best, most beautiful life the planet has ever seen? It could have happened, it should have happened, but it didn't happen. It wasn't what anyone wanted that was true to Jesus, and it certainly wasn't what any of them expected. But I know now, and you know now, it's exactly, exactly what the human race needed. It's exactly what had to happen. 
there had to be this sacrificial unveiling of the character of God without which we would have lived in guilt and fear and shame and distrust. The barriers between us being reconciled to God were too great. We had to know he was safe. We had to know that there really was forgiveness. There really was an open arm to God, a loving God, a forgiving God that was a restoring God to any that would just return to him in trust. All that could not have been accomplished with a conquering Messiah. It could only be accomplished with a sacrificial Messiah. Nothing on that Easter went the way the disciples wanted it. Nothing went the way they expected it. But everything went the way that it needed to go. And the way that it had to go for you and I to be here this day on Easter with the certainty that our lives have meaning that we have a creator that loves us, that's with us, that will never leave us and forsake us, that literally loves us to death and proved it, who's not surprised by this time out that we're experiencing, but literally is at work in a deeper way, doing what we need rather than maybe what we want because he just loves us that much and he's just that devoted to us and our ultimate eternal well-being, development, and good. So, when we contemplate Easter 2020, I think we'll all agree, indeed, it's, it's nothing like what we expected. It's nothing like what we wanted, man. I wanted to be there with you guys and enjoy our worship team doing wonderful, extraordinary things, being moved by what they do and being moved by seeing all of you there and all of us feeling the same spirit of God stirring and moving in our hearts. But I can't see you. You can't see me. We can't enjoy our music team and our worship team. But what we have is what the disciples had in a sense. It's all fuzzy now. It's all uncertain. It's all what we don't want. It's kind of like, and this illustration has been used many times, and I've used it a time or two myself, it's kind of like a tapestry. If any of you know anything about tapestries, they are these kind of like a rug that have uh, patterns, uh, decorative patterns sewn into them. And were you and I to look at a tapestry from the back, and I think by the magic uh, of technology, I think Joe is actually going to have you a tapestry on the screen somehow, maybe, but if you look at the tapestry from the back, it just looks like a mishmash of threads. It, it's, it's blurry, it's fuzzy, you can't really make it out. It, it doesn't have much meaning. Excuse me, my nose is right. But if you wait long enough, please hear me on this one, folks. If you, if you wait on God and you trust Him and you wait long enough, you'll get to see the other side. It may take time. It may take sometimes years, frankly, to see the other side of that tapestry. But when that tapestry is flipped around, you know that that time when things were going on that you didn't understand and you didn't want them and they weren't certainly what you expected, you will come to see that God was doing something in you, in me, in his churches across the world that was needed, something that had to be just as he was in the sacrifice of Jesus on that first Easter, so he is doing today what we need and what has to be done in us, in his churches, so that he can then prepare us to work through us for the time to come. We're going to come out of this season. God's going to give us another time. I have convictions about that. I know we have a time. We're being prepared for a greater work 
And we need to take this time that we don't want, that we didn't expect, with all its peculiarities, and take it as a loving gift from a Father who's equipping and preparing us for greater things yet to come that He wants to do in us and through us. Well, I hope, I hope this Easter, as peculiar as it is, I hope it's touched your heart the way it's touched mine. I hope it's meaningful to you. I hope you know in the core of your being that the God who rose from the dead is with you. He loves you. He'll never leave you and forsake you. And we will gather again. We are people of the third day. We are the people that learn to wait on God. We'll wait out this coronavirus. We're people of the third day. And we will see the mighty resurrection power of God working in us, through us, in our church, through the churches of Christ. And we will celebrate on that first gathering back, I suspect, just the way those early disciples did when they first saw that stone roll away. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much for gathering together in all of your unique home settings. I hope the Spirit of God has blessed you the way He's blessed me with reflections on this Easter. Uh, let, let's pray and let's just seek God together. Our Father and our God, may you refresh us and cause us to recognize we are people of the third day. But we, we don't live on Friday. We don't live on Saturday. We, we live waiting the promise of the resurrection. We'll wait as long as we need to wait to come out of this present trial, and we'll trust you in it, and we'll trust you through it. And we know, we are confident that you are doing a wonderful thing, a needed thing, not what we want, not what we expect, but what we need and what has to be. We pray and worship you this Easter, our God and our King. May your kingdom come and your will be done soon. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. FCF, thank you so very much, and I can't wait to get back in your very presence, hopefully sometime soon. Have a wonderful Easter. Goodbye now.